right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Man, appreciate your time. Thanks for the download, fellas. We appreciate it. Today, it's all about compressors, man. What goes wrong with them, what the fail points are. And, you know, it's funny because it's not necessarily the sexiest topic in the world, but everybody's got one. Everybody (laughs) Everybody wants one. Yeah, everybody needs one. Exactly. I'm telling you, I mean, air compressor, when you have it, you don't think about it. But when you don't have one, and you, you go to do something simple, like, inflate your tire you know blow up a air mattress you know or your kids right you know blow up toy uh but then it gets way more serious right from driving all your air tools to you know blowing something for let's say paint to even you know driving industrial equipment i mean pneumatics and air tools are the bomb exactly we all need it we all need it in some different fashion and so that's some of the trick Right? How much do I need? What do I got to spend? How big does it got to be? You know? Right, right. <laughs> oh, man. I, hey, I get winded after blowing up some water wings, which I still use as a full-grown man. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it is one of those things. I never forget, man. That's one of the first things you put in your garage, and you're like, yeah, I'm proud of that, man. I, you know, I got my big air compressor, run my tools, and, you know, it's funny because as you're as your skills develop and you progress through certain levels of wrenching and, you know, restoring cars, so does your level of, you know, need for air compressor stage one, stage two, multiple, you know, tools running at the same time, you know, and, and having the power to drive them all is, is key in any shop, especially. Yeah. And it's, it's probably like about the first big tool that you're going to buy. You know, once you get through the hand tools, you got your ratchets, wrenches and whatnot, you know, then it's like, all right, man. I'm going to step it up here, right? I'm going to be a, an A player. I'm going to be a professional. I'm getting myself an air compressor. You know, then you work yourself into welders and yeah. other you know, more expensive equipment, you know, but that's kind of like your first big go-to big boy toy right there, you know? What What was your first air compressor? Uh, so I went uh, five gallon, no, five horsepower, 60 gallon. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you get it from? Uh, I did the Home Depot. 
I did the Home Depot. Oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. My first house remodel, you know, my first house remodel was like, well, I'm going to get all this siding and I'm going to get all these boards and all this tile and I'm I'm just going to slip it right in with the bill. I'm not even going to ask the right. significant other, you know? It's just part of the need to have to do some serious building. It's funny, man, because I was I was similar. So my first air compressor was a builder's square. Oh, uh, yeah, same yeah. thing. Five horsepower, sixty gallon. I remember carrying it in the you know back in my pick 'em up truck along with a bunch of fence posts and everything else I was gonna do. I was like, yeah, got me a house, got me an air compressor, gotta do stuff. You know, it really is one of those things, man. I still have that goofy old air compressor today. It's not one that I primarily use, but it's in my secondary room, and it gets used, you know, quite often, still running, which, you know, is kind of on point today because we have some great people from Ingersoll Rand, and, and really when it comes to, you know, milking a lifetime of, of hard work out of your compressor, it's manageable. You could do it. You can make these things last forever if you know exactly what you're doing and you get the right high quality component part. Yeah, man. And you know, there's so many questions from proper way to install sizing. You know, you got to think about how your usage is going to go with, you know, whether I want electric and plug in, do I have 110? Do I got 220? You know, am I going to go gas driven? All these things, how big a tank do I need? How much horsepower do I need? Single yeah. stage, dual stage. So all these questions we're going to nail today because we've got Jared Alfalter from Ingersoll ran. This is going to be awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little hint. I went on their website earlier and, and did their little questionnaire on sizing. Uh, and, oh, you need uh, a new air compressor. It's pretty awesome. You can, well, you know, you can put in <laughs> what you're going to use and it'll kind of give you offerings for like, hey, this is what you need. And damn if I didn't hit it spot on. So I feel pretty good about that. Okay, nice, <laughs> nice. So we'll see about the other things. The other things that go along with air compressors and see how good we're doing. Yeah, man. I'm stepping up. I want to do a lot more painting in the, in the years to come. So I'm interested in talking to Jared and see what I need to run everything to have a paint booth. You know, I, yeah. I feel like, you know, I, I really want to step my game up and get into some painting this year. And the only way to do it is is start with one of those mobile, you know, environmental solutions booth that we talk about so often, but also stepping up the air compressor game. What do I need to, you know, filter? What do I need to keep it dry? What do I need to make sure I don't get fish eyes and moisture in my line and all these type things, which again, we're all going to tackle. So buckle up y'all. We're in for it. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast, Kevin Bird, Willie B, and we are back after the break. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have our boy, Jared. Jared, I'm going to slay your last name, but give me a shot. You ready for this, Jared? Watch me work it. You ready? I'm ready. Jared Affalter. Man, you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. Really? All right. All right. Two claps and a Ric Flair. <laughs> Woo! That's what's up. You get a nailed gold star it. today, man. Give him a, <laughs> a man a sticker. Hey, he's a product support team leader, man. And, uh, dude, all things Ingersoll Rand, when when you're talking air compressors, when you're talking, you know, these tools that we rely so heavily on because nobody, nobody I don't think pays that much attention to their air compressor until until the, the day it starts to fail, to the day it's, you know, not working as efficiently, as properly, you get moisture in the line when you didn't have it before, you know, it's not pumping air, it's not flowing like it did. Really, they're kind of out of sight, out of mind until they start failing. So you're going to help us today figure out how to make them not fail, which one we should have in our shop, in our garage, and all things compressors. I got to ask, how'd you get into it, man? How did you first step into this world? 
Man, you know, I've uh, grown up as a shade tree mechanic my whole life, you know, started out working on your bicycle and then working on your dirt bike. And then when you turn 16, you got a car in the garage, you're trying to try to get moving along. So, man, I'm right in the same vein with you guys, you know, big, you know, gearhead from the beginning and um, uh, always been working on my own stuff. And, you know, I had a uh, started out with my dad, had an old 1940s compressor that he found at a garage sale that looked like it was an old fuel tank off a of World War II plane. Wow. So, you know, started out with, you know, which could be perceived as a ticking time bomb in some respects. Wow, man. How, hey, so, you know, seeing those old compressors, are you, are you shocked as to how rudimentary they were and how they could run on water, dirt, a little bit of kerosene? You know, it's like those <laughs> things, man, it, it's pretty crazy. See some of those old, old timey ones. Oh man. And you know, there's still a lot of them out there today. You know, there's even ones that ran off of steam power, you know, which is pretty cool when you think about how facilities were constructed back in the turn of the century, you know, obviously what power was available to turn over a, you know, a rotating piece of equipment, but you know, I mean, just with anything at the end of the day, you know, if you take care of it and, and keep everything maintained properly and it's used properly and applied, that thing will last forever. So, yeah, that's a lot of good old iron still out there pumping away today. Yeah, man. Well, that's it. I mean, when you're thinking about making a pretty big purchase, especially, you know, one of your first ones, you're putting, you know, some coins together, you, you're, you're rummaging up some scratch to throw down. You're like, oh, man, that, that's a little bit of money. But, uh, you know, when you think about getting a lifetime out of something, you don't get that out of many things right? So it's the tool that you want that's going to do so many things for you and it's going to last. So it's not like you're going to be sinking it every, every time you turn around, you know, especially if you take a, you know, decent care of it. Yeah. Most, hey, most, most car guys have their air compressor longer than they have their wives. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's science. That's an actual fact. That's based on science. There's data to prove, prove that correct. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm yeah. a lucky one, but I was just thinking about, you know, one of my first air tools, I got an impact wrench when I was a mechanic, you know, going through college. Um, an Ingersoll ran, half-inch impact wrench. Yeah. That thing is 28 years old, never put a re rebuild on it, and it still bangs off, you know, nuts and bolts. It's broken off so many, uh, you know, rusted-on bits, you know, lug nuts and the whole, man. So the Ingersoll brand, to me, has been solid as a rock. Uh, I've got a ton of their air tools. Uh, so next time my compressor takes it, mm-mm, don't. Uh. That's where I'm be looking for sure. I gotta ask you, Kevin. You know, uh, for those tools to last as long as they do, do you follow the uh, the instructions that says the oil daily? You know, once once daily when you before use. You know, I do a decent job. I always got my little bottle of oil there. So yeah, if it's not uh, you know each use every you know couple of uses, which would probably be like a full day of work, right? Because I'm I'm kind of doing the day job and the playtime in the garage when I'm at home. So yeah, that that seems to really be doing the trick. That's key. I had a job as an automotive mechanic for a while, and the shop owner had a nice snap-on toolbox, you know, and he lets you roll the drawer open and grab a, a wrench or something to get after a project. And, you know, his whole thing was, man, wipe that down, put it back where it belongs, you care for it, this is how you make your money, and, and you know, you got to make sure you're, you're uh, you know, treating it just like your wife, right? You take care of that thing, and it'll pay off in dividends. Yeah, and I've had a few knockoffs, and they have not treated me well, so there is definitely a huge disparity Right, I got a twenty-year span on something that just gets beat on, and you know a few others that have lasted six months or a year, you know, and, and they're in the trash. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> so, all right, man, we got the car guy, and everywhere I go uh, at something like SEMA or a big car event, Jared is the guy that's there with all the killer Ingersoll Rand compressors. Now, tell us what's the range of compressors that you guys work with, right? Because you got the little portables that are. You know, sometimes call it a pancake compressor. You might, you know, use your 
your little nail gun with it, et cetera. And then you got these big industrial things. Like how small, how big do you guys go? Man, it actually will blow your mind, Kevin, how big these things can get. Yeah, so you got the what we call is a twin stack, which is a little one horsepower compressor. It's got a carry handle on it. You know, construction guys will set it in and do some framing, things of that nature. I've seen compressors up to 8,000 horsepower before. So Whew. we're talking funny car power here, man. Yeah, you know, funny car only lasts for about four seconds. These things are running 24-7 for, you know, 30 plus years. So, you know, think of uh, think of the whole definition of duty cycle on that on those bad boys. But And how much pressure are those putting out? Uh, it depends on what the application is. You know, I've seen, uh, um, you know, you guys, uh, you, you drink, um, you know, two liter bottles, right? You know, that plastic bottle is blown using compressed air and it's called pet bottle blowing. Those things can get up to about 700 PSI of pressure for that. Um, mm. I got to, uh, I got to visit a pretty cool application down at the, uh, down in Dallas, Texas, the Lockheed Martin wind tunnel. They were uh, developing 0.5 to Mach 5 wind speeds using 500 PSI air with a 3,000 horsepower air compressor. Was, wow. Oh, my God. You know, the cool thing about it, it was installed in 1957 and was still running up until about three years ago when we decommissioned it and replaced it with new equipment. So that was a really, really wow. cool place to check out. All right, Jared, I got, to, I got to tell you one of the coolest things I have that runs off uh, air compressor. You ready? It's a, imagine the largest, most insane potato gun you've ever seen, except this one <laughs> has twin dual, well, it's all aluminum, T22 aluminum. The barrel is 22 feet long, so it's got a 22-foot-long barrel, stands on a big steel tripod that weighs about 80 pounds. I call it the go-fast cannon because I can shoot a, of an 8-ounce can of Red Bull or go-fast energy drink out of visible sight. I shot it through <laughs> RVs. I freeze them in the freezer. And the awesome. barrel of this thing is 22 feet. I got sights in it. So, oh, I mean, man. it's massive. It's it's one of the coolest things uh, you could ever see that <laughs> works off nothing but compressed air. And I'll tell you, man. That's a WMD right there, man. That's <laughs> oh, a weapon it's so of real. mass destruction. Man, we got to register that thing with NATO. <laughs> you should. I can shoot an energy drink <laughs> 10, 15 acres. <laughs> yeah, you got, now you got a neighbor calling in. Saying, why do I got energy drinks stuck in my barn wall, right? Yeah, yeah, I've well, shot them through it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty thirsty right now, and we're pretty far away. You think you could tuck <laughs> one over my direction? <laughs> Damn near it. It's crazy to watch one go out of visible sight. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, it's pretty fun. And, it, and I got to tell you, it's, it's funny when you think about all the applications we use compressed air for. It's, you, you take it so for granted, but it's everywhere. Well, all right, so when I grew up, my dad had... My dad had the little mini, probably, I don't know, horsepower, three-quarter horsepower, 15-gallon. You know, and I remember taxing that thing. As soon as I got into, you know, porting and polishing heads and I got a die grinder, it was like, you know, you get about 45 seconds worth of work and then, you know, the thing peters out. So there is clearly a sizing exercise. Um, so how do we go about navigating, you know, for the new buyer especially uh, with, I'm going to use a nail gun, I got air tools, uh, depending on obviously what type of air tools. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to work my way up to the dream of, of paint, right? So how do you navigate that? And obviously there's bigger and industrial, but I think starting there gets about 95% of us, uh, you know, basic shop and DIYers. So you've been kind of tapping on the questions I would ask, right? By just kind of explaining what you do. And it's basically, what are you doing and how long are you doing it? Right? My wife asks those right. questions so often. Sorry. Sorry, my bad. Um, <laughs> my bad. My bad. Go ahead. Go then, ahead. Then how much does it cost, right? You know, that's the other, that's, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> My bad. Proceed. So yeah, Port and Polish's heads is a perfect example. You know, you got a die grinder. You're getting after it for an extended period of time. You know, you're getting into some intricate locations, but you're you're consistently using that air for a long period of time. That starts to start to tap on how much flow are you consuming, right? So whenever you purchase that die grinder, that impact wrench, the spray gun, whatever the case may be, all of those have a little data sheet that comes with them that talks about CFM. And car guys know what that is because that's how we size carburetors and in fuel injection, mm-hmm. but cubic feet per minute, right? So that's how much air that's going to consume. And then there's another one of how much pressure it desires, which is usually about 90 PSI. So that gets you in the ballpark of, you know, how big of a machine do I potentially need to have in order to fulfill the tool need? But then how long are you doing it, right? That's another thing that really a lot of people don't really think about because, you know, if you had a, a if you're, you know, working on a cylinder head, Kevin, and you're just doing it for a brief period of time, a little 30 gallon tank with a little two horsepower motor is probably perfectly sufficient as long as you get about 90 PSI out of your tool. But if you're doing it for a few hours, right, and you're really, really going down and you're hogging out a lot of, uh, you know, material out of that cylinder head, then you need to start talking about maybe five horsepower, seven and a half horsepower, 60 gallon tank, 80 gallon tank, right? Is that starting to make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely for us. I think we're in the, we're in the right zone here, man. So, um, like you said, I think usage and usage at the right pressure are huge. And, and I mentioned, I think before the break, I got on your website, just checking out all your goods and, uh, right up there, you know, check out the compressor systems and then how to size. And it's pretty awesome if you go to their site and, and you can, you know, answer a few questions on, you know, what type of you know electricity or gas, et cetera. But then, you know, what kind of tools you're going to use and it lets you pick so maybe you're not going to use just a grinder at one point. Maybe you got a shop and there's two or three other guys connected up. So you can you can click the box on any number of tools and how many you think you're going to use at any one time. And you can play whatever scenarios you think you're going to have. And then it'll give you kind of the sizing. So you know you've kind right. of got yourself selected in the right, you know, right category, the right kind of capacity, et cetera. And I thought that was a super handy way to kind of do some early shopping, right? Especially when you're talking about the multiple guys, right? You know, when I, when I talk to shop owners and things of that nature, I ask them, you know, usually how many bays do you have? How many technicians are working at one point in time, right? Are all three of them going to be grabbing a DA or doing some body work or, you know, uh, you know, media blasting, whatever the case may be? Because if the answer is potentially yes, you need to add those up to a cumulative flow rate, right? And therefore, you can start to look at what is the appropriate horsepower machine to keep flowing air in that pipe and keep them working effectively because the worst thing we know is when one guy's over there doing a, you know, painting a car, for example, and then somebody grabs a DA and starts to get on a fender and he's starving air from the other guy. We're in bad shape, right? Oh yeah. man. Somebody's getting a beat yeah. down knuckle sandwiches for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to be using that DA on top of that right. new paint job. Cause it didn't come out good. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because if you're painting, then you know how critical stable pressure is, right? Oh, Being God. able to uh, maintain that that volumetric flow rate out of that gun and, and putting that down on that material. So, all all things considered, right? That's that's key. It's it's amazing how just a few pounds changes how the paint lays down. You know, it's uh it's really oh it weird. totally does. It, it's insane, especially when you got a lot of flake in there, and you know, 
It's just uh, it's just very crazy. You gotta you gotta stay consistent, and maintain that throughout every aspect of the of the paint, every panel, every job. When you know it doesn't matter where you're at and how long you've been on the trigger, you gotta get the job done in a certain amount of time before stuff flashes. And man, that's crucial having you know maintaining a a steady flow out of your gun. It's it's critical. Absolutely, you know, and and you bring up something really about flake, right? You know, so that that's material that's in the paint that is being carried with it. And the rate that it, when it comes out is a function of the flow and pressure, right? So if you've got any variability in that pressure feeding that gun, now you're, yeah, one fender is going to have more flake than the roof of the car or whatever the case may yeah, be. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? Another, another piece of it to think about is, is a waterborne paint, right? So, um, you know, this is a new technology. I mean, it's been around for a few years, but uh, waterborne paints are really environmentally friendly and a lot of industries are going that direction. And we're finding out, a lot of shops are finding out, unfortunately, the hard way, the criticality to how much moisture is in that air and the pressure and flow because that water is carrying that and acting as a solvent, right? So, you know, being able to control that and maintain that consistency just has a huge impact on the quality and, and layout of that paint job. Yeah. As a painter, can we just all agree that water-based paint sucks? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to call it the uh, elephant yeah. in the room, but it sucks. Yeah. I know it's safe for the environment, but God, you're, you're right. Now, I, I've seen as different as, as little as, you know, three pounds at the gun make a significant difference in laying down, um, you know, paint jobs before with a lot of flake and a lot of material in it. Like you said, it's really just a small amount of variance can cause significant differences in how the, you know, the panel looks from panel to panel. It's, uh, it's very interesting when you get into those sort of intricate details, but it all starts right where we're talking right at that compressor and get the machine that's matched for what you're doing and heaven forbid you got another guy on the da while you're painting oh man <laughs> oh yeah totally you know one thing that a lot of people don't really dig into until there's a problem right you know a lot of us learn the lessons the hard way unfortunately but a lot of people don't dig into the air quality requirements for painting specifically you know you've got to have dry air right you know think about this that air compressor is consuming ambient air you know, and, and pumping it up to a higher pressure to send it to your point of use. Within that air is moisture in the form of relative humidity, right? So as we pressurize that air and heat it up, we like to condense that moisture, and that shows up as liquid water at, at, you know, at your gun or at your tool. So having air treatment equipment, such as filtration, dryers, you know, to really take out any contaminants that's in the air and remove that moisture is just so crucial. And, you know, think of the cost necessary to rework a lot of those jobs and what that would have equated to and actually purchasing the proper equipment out of the gate. You know, that's One job gone south and you could have bought all that equipment multiple times over, you know? All the labor, the cost of the paint, materials, mm. you name it, right? Ugh. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about it. That's hurting. Yeah, that's, that's, painful. that's ugly, man. That's painful. <laughs> All right, look, we got we to gotta take a break, man. So let's get a quick one down, and we'll come back more with Jared here in just a few. All things compressor-related. We'll talk, you know, dual-stage compressors coming up. A lot of people are interested to see the difference, the significance, why you think you might need one. We'll tackle that coming up next. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And man, we're talking all things compressor related. And if you think compressor, there's a good damn chance you're 
you you just rely on one in such a crucial critical way to maintain the hours in your shop the work everything you're doing imagine how terrible it would be if your compressor went out on a you know on a saturday you know when you got to get something done you got to race that night and you know it takes a it takes a dump on you you know it's like Oh, worst time usually when those things tend to start failing. Um, we'll get into some of the common failures in compressors and what they do at Ingersoll Rand to kind of, you know, help and, and make sure those compressors last a lifetime. Hey, Jared, why don't you cue us up as to a little bit the difference between, you know, a single stage and like a dual stage compressor? Because a lot of people I know, you know, if you're painting and you got another guy running a tool or a sander or something in, in the shop, you're going to kill your air pressure and consistency at the gun if it's just a single stage. A lot of times just using a gun alone kills it. At, at what point or what test do you think it's wise to move up? Well, you know, a great question, Willie. And one of the things that you'll, you'll notice a difference between a single and a two stage is obviously the number of stages necessary to compress that air to the final delivery of pressure you're looking for, right? A single stage compressor just takes ambient air, pulls it into the chamber, one stroke of the piston and boom, it's up to about 135 PSI and goes right into the tank. Now, unfortunately, that makes it a high compression ratio. And so therefore, it generates a lot of heat when that happens. Whereas a two-stage compressor pulls air into the first stage, pumps it up to about, say, 40 to 50 PSI. Then that goes through an intercooler tube where it cools down a little bit and then goes into the second stage where it can go up to about 175 psi so breaking that up amongst the two stages really reduces that discharge temperature and when i talk about discharge temperature you know if you've run a compressor for a long period of time they get hot right you notice that discharge tube it actually could burn you and in some cases that tank gets hot anytime you've got a hot tank indicating it's, it's just warm to the touch versus what it looks like inside the, the garage or inside that shop, you have now the potential for moisture to show up at your point of use because that air is going to go through your air pipe or through your air hose and it's going to cool down. And that, you know, and remember that air has got moisture in it from the ambient. So one of the good things about a two-stage compressor is they can get higher delivery pressure, but they do that in two stages able to cool down. So therefore, it's not running as hot as a single-stage compressor would make. Does that make sense? Very yeah. much so, man. Yeah. So that's the one to get. That's what I got. Two-stage. Man, that thing rocks. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. put a cutoff wheel and cut around a whole car, you know? You know, the single-stage <laughs> machine yeah. is great uh, for the guys that, uh, you know, they do some heavy work every now and again, but they're not doing it for a really long period of time. You know, they're kind of your weekend warriors. He's, you know, he's going to get in and maybe do a little body work on his hot rod in his garage or something like that, you know, so he doesn't need to step into a two-stage quite yet because a single stage will take care of that. But if you're any type of, uh, you know, you know, kind of like a manufacturing shop or automotive repair shop that's working eight hours a day, you definitely want to look at the two-stage for your application, especially if there's more than one guy make, doing the work. So. You know, good good way to look at that. Now, you talk about some of the moisture in the lines, and, and doing the two-stage is definitely going to help that in a big way. Uh, we talked about painting and air quality, and, of course, there's some, you know, pretty significant filtration and whatnot that you would use in a paint scenario. Now, what about everybody in between uh, that's maybe using air tools, filling tires, doing whatever? Uh, you know, if you got a two-stage, you got one level of, you know, protection or whatnot from moisture. Uh, what would you recommend? You know, I've heard... All kinds of things from, you know, right out of the tank, you know, send your lines up vertically with, you know, some room below for, you know, some of the moisture to fall out or, or, you know, install your lines. If you're doing hard lines, 
you know, and angle them back towards the tank? I mean, are there any other, you know, nuances like that that can help? Obviously, doing the proper filtration itself, you know, that's that's a huge step. Are there other, you know, intermediate pieces that you can do too as far as installation and how you th set things up? Absolutely, absolutely. And I'd say probably the most critical one that people don't pay much attention to is draining the receiver, right? Making sure that tank is drained on a daily basis. That is a spot that that hot moisture-laden air is going to slow down and that moisture can fall to the bottom. And if you've got any concerns about moisture in your airlines, the first question I ask is your tank empty of moisture or not, right? Because that can easily get picked back up in that airstream and cruise on down. Now, once you get out of the tank, then, you know, again, we're asked the question, what are you doing, right? You know, a, a, if a guy's just running air tools every now and again, he's probably not going to invest in some, any filtration. He, uh, I would highly recommend a regulator. You know, about 99% of the air tools that exist today all have a 90 PSI air pressure requirement. Most compressor factors compressors for about 135 to 175 PSI. And if I had a tool engineer standing right next to me, he'd say, 90 is all I need. Anything beyond that, you're wasting air. So putting a regulator downstream of your tank going into your either your airline into your air system to regulate that down to the needed required pressure of that tool, that's a critical piece because your tool could prematurely wear out. And, and, you know, ultimately that's not a you know, good thing to have. Um, and while you're doing that, a lot of those little regulators will have filters, you know, those small little uh, coalescing filters in them. And, and sometimes they even have drain valves in them as well, which is a good feature so that any moisture that does want to show up drains out right at that point of use. So that's a good thing to have just to kind of uh, make sure your tools last a long time. You're not wearing them out. You're not wasting energy. You're trapping whatever little moist and or dirt and moisture does want to show up. So it's just a good, uh, just a good idea all, all together. Yeah, great tips. So, hey, hey, Kevin, I'm not sure if you got that. If your tool is wearing out prematurely, you know, you, you, you definitely want to run a, a regulator, maybe check their website. You know, anytime your tool is wearing out prematurely, it's never, never a good thing. I'm just, you know, speaking the obvious here. <laughs> right on. That's right. Uh, should be like a uh, Ingersoll Ram poster. <laughs> now, as far as, you know, where you're going to put, uh, you know, your filtration uh, or any other, you know, item like that, would you put it at each drop? You know, so let's say you run some hard lines and you got a couple different drops in your shop or garage, or can you put one, you know, upstream or whatever, and then everything past that's good, kind of like a, a GFI circuit or, you know, what's the, the best way to set these up? Great question. Um, so, you know, think of a, uh, uh, like an automotive shop that's just got four or five bays. They got some fabricators, mechanics on one end and maybe one paint booth right down at the end of the shop. My suggestion for that guy would be to put in a, a, a good general purpose filter and a dryer that's going to clean and dry the whole system, right? Because we all know that mechanic shops, those tools are the technician's tools, right? So if there's water going in there and it's ruining the tools, the techs have to pay for replacement. So that's a tough discussion to have with a shop owner about how come my tools were failing. So I recommend cleaning and drying that air. Now, once that air cruises down and gets to the point of use of a paint booth, then I'm going to add another layer of filtration, which is a high efficiency, like a 0.01 micron filter, and a desiccant dryer, which gets you down to a negative 40 Fahrenheit dew point, right? So really pulling all that moisture out, making sure I've got super, super clean air. And then therefore, I've got a perfect application for my paint guy to get in there and, and lay down those quality paint jobs. Now, ultimately, point of use things when you start talking about drops, right? Like you see a lot of guys that put little regulators and things at the point of use. 
I'm not a big fan of that. You know, I, I'd say regulate the whole system, right? Your leaks, uh, you know, all air systems have a leak to a degree unless you have a really, really tight system with some good quality product. But, uh, you know, regulate that at a lower pressure because the leaks will be have less of a leak rate. Clean it at the point, you know, at the distribution of the compressor so that your pipe doesn't rust out. You don't develop any scale or anything from that respect. So just long term, it's good to have clean, dry air going into the full piping system. When you compress air up to about 175 PSI, it's going to have moisture in it, right? And that moisture could still be in vapor form. Once you drop pressure down at, you know, downstream of a regulator, the actual dew point of that air goes down, right? So you don't really see a lot of moisture that, that shows up. So that's a good way of also making sure that you don't uh, generate more moisture through that air piping. One other thing that you brought up, Kevin, uh, uh, was about the slope of a pipe. That is a good rule of thumb. As you run a, a pipe down across a wall, if you do have moisture or a low point drain or something to that effect that you want to run to, Give it a little bit of a slope, so therefore any moisture that does form in that pipe is going to cruise on down there and get kicked out before it gets to your point of view. Okay, aim it back towards the compressor or the opposite way, like towards your tools. If you don't have a, yeah, if you don't have a filter or anything downstream, you know, towards your point of use, aim it back towards the compressor. That way, that moisture gets into its drain valve circuit. Nice. Okay, I'll be yeah. on the website next weekend. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask about if you guys carried, uh, you know, I know you do the filtration and everything else, if you guys carried the lines as well. And, uh, yeah, just kind of clicked over in the links, and you guys got your simple air compressed air piping, man. That stuff looks nice. That's the, uh, is it coated aluminum tubing and all the nice high-quality fittings? It is beautiful stuff. So that stuff is great because it's an anodized aluminum, so it's not going to corrode. It's got a really, really low pressure drop associated with it. So when you think of air flowing through the pipe, smooth walls you know having a smoothness to that reduces pressure drop um the other cool thing about it is it's leak free it's all o-ring connections so you know it go into an old shop man you're going to find old threaded pipe that's sitting there rusting away and leaking and you know causing the compressor to run too long yeah when you've got o-ring connections man it just eliminates that completely and that stuff lasts forever so yeah absolutely man check that stuff out yeah hey one more time what's what's your uh, website so anybody's got info or wanting info or any tech advice or whatever can find it what was it again ingersollrand.com ingersollrand.com so there you go guys check that out yeah, actually, if you go onto our website uh, and you click on the products pages for the particular machine you're looking at, um, there is a, a link that goes to YouTube. But we also have a, a YouTube channel called Ingersoll Rand um, that's got a, a handful of videos out there. Actually, there's a bunch of them out there today that go through the different products that we have. So it talks about what a single stage is, a two stage, what a dryer is, drain oh, valves, nice. et cetera. Yeah, and then there's also some, uh, some uh, do-it-yourself videos. You know, a lot of guys are out there. They're mechanically inclined. You know, if they want to uh, replace a pressure switch or a check valve or do a maintenance on the machine, we put videos out there as well that shows you how to do that. So definitely take a look at that on our, uh, on our YouTube channel as well as our website. And Ingersoll Rand Air Compressors on YouTube. Check that out for sure, guys. Sounds like a good resource, man. You guys got a bunch of them. Absolutely. Super cool, you guys. Go check them out. Check them out on their YouTube channel. Uh, there's so much to learn on how to properly set up. And I'm telling you, once you got your rig the right way, Oh my God, the years, the lifetime you're going to have, right? And we all know how awesome tools are to be able to just plug stuff in. You got what you need there. Uh, and again, it's uh, you know your initial purchase that pretty much will last you forever. Hey, I want to kind of expand on that just for a second, if I could real quick, um, because this is an area that I see a lot of customers that invested heavily in their product, but then were not happy later. 
And that's a function of maintenance, right? I, I just cannot impress the appropriate amount of maintenance. Remember, these things are breathing air. They're pumping in the ambient air and pushing it downstream. So that air filter needs to be clean. And that oil inside that machine needs to be changed properly. And one thing I'll see a lot of guys make mistakes of. I've, even, I've got a lot of uh, mechanic friends that have made this mistake, not using the proper compressor oil. Everybody thinks, ah, I'm just lubricating the connecting rod and a piston and it's good to go. Automotive and compressors, two different things. Okay, absolutely two different things. You do not have combustion going on in a compressor. Therefore, you don't need to deal with the fuels. All you are dealing with is the lubrication of those uh, components plus the contamination of the air, right? So having the proper compressor oil and changing it appropriately, absolutely critical, man. I see a lot of guys tear up good machines because they just throw old 38 oil in there and, and it carbonizes and causes wrecks havoc inside that, inside that compressor. Hey, you know how many people just said, that thing's got an air filter? I mean, I can't use TNW-40. <laughs> <laughs> no, wise words. Uh, and uh, Yeah, I, know, I, I changed mine a while ago, but you are reminding me it's time to go change my oil again. Uh, so I changed mine back in 99 when I got the machine. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just no doubt. Hey, uh, hey, Jared, thanks again, man. Where do people find you socially? We'll wrap this thing up. Well, fundamentally, our, our Instagram is Ingersoll Rand. We've got our Facebook page, Ingersoll Rand, as well. Um, and then we've got our website and our YouTube. So go out there and hop on that, get all that product pulled down, and uh, you know, surf away, man. Check out our stuff. I-N-G-E-R-S-O-L-L-R-A-N-D, Ingersoll Rand. Been around for 149 years. That's right, man. 149 years. Giddy up. That is that's crazy. That's almost as long as our TV show's been on. And don't forget about our TV show, Air Weekends, <laughs> on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Episodes also now streaming on Motor Trend On Demand. They had that 130 years ago. Thanks to our guest, Jared, who was awesome. And you saw Ren. Check out their website as well. Thanks to my man, Kevin Birdine, Willie B, our producer, Scoop. And our executive producer is Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com. Share your thoughts with us on social. We're everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at twoguysgarage. Now, this Two Guys Garage podcast is a copyright 2020 Britain Productions Incorporated. All rights reserved. There you go, man. And this one blew him away, bro. <laughs> Get it? Blew him away. <laughs> nice job, Jared. You're the man, bro. Uh, Thank you're you. You're full of hot air, man. <laughs> Take it easy. Air. It's cold air. All right. See you, bro. Take care, man. See you guys. All right. Take care. All right, man. We'll see you guys on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.